you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So glad to be here today. Uh, it's good to see you, Nicole. I know we talked about uh, the Caregiver Summit last week, but I still want to uh, remind everyone that they can always go to caregiversummit.org and you can find everything uh, that was done at the sessions a few weeks back. Yeah, definitely. We still have people kind of filing in as they hear about it to uh, get access to to the amazing sessions and resources. So we're still making that available to the community for actually an entire year. So anybody who's interested, we'd be glad to provide you access and any type of technical support that you may need. Excellent. Caregiversummit.org to view all those resources. Uh, It was a wonderful day that Thursday, the 22nd, back in October. But uh, yeah, if you want to check out those resources, caregiversummit.org is the place to go. Nicole, let's get into the topic for today. We're going to be discussing what your last will isn't. We always like talking about legal documents because these are important discussions to have, and there's often a lot of misinformation and misconceptions out there when it comes to our legal documents, particularly the will, and that's why we've brought in a return guest on the show. He is Adam Hopler, partner at Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. Adam, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great to be with y'all. You know, I'm glad we're having this topic. You know, the first thing we always have to do is convince people to even do a will, right? But (laughs) but then when they do the will, they think, well, the will does everything for them. They don't have to worry about anything anymore. And, you know, so, so that's correct, isn't it, Adam? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and there's so much ideas that go into, like, what a will is from Mm -hmm. pop culture. Um, You know, even the uh, kind of archaic idea of people getting together and, and reading a last will out, you know, mm-hmm. in some kind of a mystery novel setting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of things that people think about what wills are. And so I hope today we can kind of uh, just provide a little more reality to that. I love that. You know, um, before I really got into this field, I really felt like, you know, even even in my 20s, I knew enough to know, well, I'm married now and I need to have a will. And I really basically thought that's all I needed to have. And um, maybe that sufficed in my 20s. I don't know. I'm sure you'll correct me on that statement even. But um, what exactly is a will and what isn't it? Sure. Yeah, I suppose it is probably good to start, like, with what a will exactly. is. Yeah. Um, and so our... Um, our, our North Carolina legislature, just like every other legislature uh, in the country, has a, a set of laws. Um, we call them statutes, and uh, they cover a wide variety of things. But one topic they cover is what to do with your things, uh, the stuff that you leave behind in the instance that you, you pass away. In essence, it's like a will for the everyman. Um, but oftentimes, the things that are designed for everyone actually do no good for anyone. Um, And so uh, you have an opportunity, instead of taking what your state legislature has written for you, uh, to instead say what you want to happen, rather. Um, And so your your will is really an opportunity to say, uh, should I, or well, when I pass, but, you know, whenever that may be, 
Um, this is what I'd like to see accomplished. Um, and it's, it's an odd thing to think about for sure. Uh, but when you, when you take the things that you have and you put them all together, it, it, you know, nowadays it's not uncommon for that to be a fairly healthy sum and it can do a lot of good, but it can also do a lot of damage. Um, and so knowing what's happening and how you want it to happen and being clear about that is so important. Um, and so that's really what your, your will is about. Um, now, certainly, there. You know, we'll talk a little bit about this as well. There are some unique aspects of it when it comes to having children. Um, we don't really plan for anybody to pass when they have minor children, mm-hmm. but it, it does happen, unfortunately. And so there are some special contingencies that need to be put in for that. Um, and so that's also a, something that you would accomplish with your, with your last will and testament specifically. Um, so, I mean, I guess in short, that's really what we're saying a will is. Um, and so that's, it's fairly direct and pretty straightforward. But as we'll kind of talk, there are some things that kind of have flowed into the idea of a will over time that um, you know, maybe you're thinking that it will do that eh, is probably not the best place to accomplish. So what are some of the common, I guess, myths about what a will will do for you versus what it will not do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think I'll, I'll go ahead and hit on that one sort of unique topic to start with, um, guardianship. Um, a will is absolutely a place where if you uh, have children mm-hmm. um, under the age of 18, uh, is, you know, kind of what we're talking about, um, you, you want to be clear about who are the people that you want to actually care for them. Um, this is what we refer to in North Carolina as guardians, as well as, you know, what might happen in terms of management of things that you leave to them. Now, that can be under the same person or or set of people uh, or different, Um, but that's definitely something that you do in your will. However, um, what your will is not, though, uh, is is the first time that you would let somebody know that that's your plan. Um, I don't don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, I want to say it was like early 2000s movie, uh, Raising Helen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the premise of it was that after her, her sister and brother-in-law, uh, they, they passed in a, in a car accident, uh, their three children of her sister, uh, were, she was named as their, as their guardian. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a premise of a, of a movie. Um, and so from there, the, you know, hilarity ensues and a, a single person who's in the fashion world industry suddenly becoming a mother of three <laughs> and what that looks like. Um, and it, uh, you know, ends with some, you know, touching kind of repartee. And, uh, but at the same time, the whole premise of the movie is absolutely terrible, right? You do not ever want to spring something that important on somebody, right? And so your will is not something that most people are going to see prior to your passing. Um, in fact, many people may not. And so it's not the kind of thing that you want to have a first conversation over. Uh, so this is a really big deal that I kind of have to talk with folks um, when it comes to confidentiality. You know, we attorneys really like confidentiality. And sometimes I think we, we push the idea of that onto our clients between them and everybody else. And that's certainly you're right. You know, you can say, I'm going to keep my will entirely private and nobody's ever going to know about it. But something like this, though, is pretty serious and something that you should probably have a conversation about. Um, so your will is not something necessarily that needs to be in secret, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that may need to have some conversation with close loved ones. Um, and so certainly in that movie premise, it would have been nice if the, the sister of Helen, right, had pulled her aside at some point and said, 
this is kind of what I'm thinking. And I'd like you to be prepared for that. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but it's just important. It's akin to asking somebody to be a godmother or godfather, right? Um, I mean, that's essentially what that is, is will you be there for my kids if I can't? Um, and it's almost an honor, right? I mean, it's something that in, in past days that, you know, in different traditions get celebrated. Um, so certainly uh, when you think about uh, a will, that's uh, one important aspect is really think carefully about what are the parts of this that need to be secret and what are the parts that I should really consider sharing. So one of the things that I think oftentimes people think about their will for is is the transferring of various different assets. And I know that can really be a tricky widget. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you, you, you have those, those kind of questions of like, where where do I be yeah, transparent and, and when do I not? Because uh, there, there are times where you, you want to have a certain amount of, I guess, well, you know, keeping it close to the chest because... Um, a will is also something, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, that it may change over time, right? Um, and so uh, you don't necessarily need to have everything locked in. And so uh, when I'm advising people about having this particular conversation, what usually helps to kind of downplay it a little bit is to let them know that they're on a list, right? So I, you, you probably don't want to just pick one person mm-hmm. to be a guardian, for instance. Um, you, you may want to have two or three backups um, because you just don't know what the future is going to be and who's going to be in what particular position. Um, you know, I can think in, in my own life even that I've had people that, um, you know, when I first started thinking about having them as guardian for my children, they did not have children of their own, and now they have four. Um, and that changes the calculus, and it's not necessarily to say that they shouldn't be the guardian anymore, but it is to say that you might want to prime them for that, like, because, you know, I'm, I'm about to have six kids here, right? So, if, uh, you know, you know, going from four to ten would be a really big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So you at least need to have the conversation <laughs> and, and prime them for, should I still leave you on the list? Are you okay with that? You know, and, and see what the response is. Um, so, cause it, again, it should just never be, um, you know, something that they don't see coming or at least have in the back of their mind as a possibility, right? Yeah, having that conversation is so important as well as making sure that you're going back and looking at what you've created uh, making sure that it still fits you don't want to be in that set it and forget it mode we're talking with adam hopler he is a partner with hopler wilms and hannah and we will continue our conversation with him all about wills right after this you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf joined by nicole cleggett from transitions guiding lights here's your host jason kong you are listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic find more about transitions life care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest on the line is Adam Hopler. He's a partner at Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah, and we're talking all about what a will isn't. Nicole, we kind of got into what it actually does, and then we're, you know, we, we are busting some myths here about common misconceptions when it comes to wills. So I guess I really shouldn't spring my kids on my aunt. I don't know. We, they're the, they're the, well-behaved. At the very least, you might lead me to a screenplay that I could uh, 
reboot somewhere. Maybe I'll give them to you, Jason. Uh, what do you think? Could you use a few more? Uh, Adam, Adam, we need to get back to Adam right now. <laughs> so Adam, I know that you had some additional pieces of information about wills that you wanted to share. Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to, I'll hit on three. And so I'll hit them to start with, and then we'll kind of go back through them. But um, when you're, when you're thinking about a will, uh, one, I guess, you know, if you want to call it like a myth, um, is that you, your, your last will and testament isn't how you let someone know how you feel about them. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Um, it also isn't something that should shock people, generally speaking. Um, and then last, it isn't something that should be tucked away and forgotten about after you first sign one. So I shouldn't um, leave everything so, to Fluffy the Cat. <laughs> yeah. So let's. Uh, I guess kind of going back to that. That uh, I guess you know second bullet point. You know, uh, now that we covered the first, but you know, sometimes when I'm speaking with folk, um, they begin to think about their will and what they want to do with their stuff. And it may be as simple as asking, "Well, how many children do you have? What are their names?" And I can sometimes get visceral responses um, that you know maybe, "Well, okay, I have three, but I really only want to include two, um, or you know, well, I have um, I have three, but I really only want to include one, um, or I really want to do extra favors for this one, or whatever else the case may be. And, and essentially, it's the you know kind of proverbial coat of many colors, uh, right? Like you got to be cautious about what can come out from giving one child maybe a little bit extra, or from excluding one, mm. um, especially if this isn't a conversation that you've already had. Right. Um, and that's where it gets really difficult. Um, there are instances where I've seen where um, a family member is estranged and everybody knows uh, that the people are, are disconnected from each other. They don't talk. They haven't talk, spoken in years. Mm -hmm. If you were to ask the person, you know, what the relationship is, they would very clearly say, uh, oh, yeah, we haven't we haven't spoken to each other in years. I'm not expecting anything to happen, you know, at the passing of my, you know, fill in the blank brother, father, you know, son, whatever. Um, and so um, that that that, you know, is one situation. But you really want to think carefully if what you're saying is, yeah, I have, you know, children that run around my feet all the time now in my late years. And uh, but, you know, this one in, in particular is the one that, that create some difficulty for me, because that is the kind of thing that is ripe for, for legal contest. Mm -hmm. um, wills are, in one sense, um, they're, they're, they're built up by statute. Like, we have a lot of rules that if you follow those rules and do them correctly, yeah, they will protect the, um, the, the authenticity of the document, mm -hmm. right? That it will survive the test of any kind of challenge to it. Um, but at the same time, there are some things about will when it comes to like testamentary capacity and undue influence that provide a little bit of like a, an angle for challenge. And so if you're in a situation where you've got a very, very upset relative who thought they were going to be inherited or who thought they were loved and they mm -hmm. were mistaken, right. um, that is going to be the kind of thing that will spur them on despite any kind of logic mm -hmm. or ration or law, right? Um, so you don't want to spur that very thing on that you're trying to avoid, right, by, by cutting them out and saying, well, I want to make sure that something doesn't happen this way. I mean, you may very well wind up causing the opposite uh, because you, you instigate the fight, right? Right. Um, 
So that's something to be very, very cautious of when you're doing your will. It makes for a, a great John Grisham novel, right? I mean, I can think of several that, you know, literally that is the, the subject of like cutting someone out or adding somebody in. Mm-hmm. And, and, but in, in any, but what's remarkable is even in those novels, um, the, the person who's doing this, who's writing the will and cutting somebody out, they almost always know that they're feeding their estate to lawyers. Mm-hmm. Kind of a common John Grisham uh, trope, right? That uh, you know, that the lawyers get all the fees, right? Um, and so that's probably not what you're desiring. I would hope, um, you know, when any particular person is drafting the will. And so you want to be very careful. Like this is not the time to let somebody know how you feel about them. Agreed. What else? Yeah. So, and I think kind of uh, maybe flowing along with that, um, you know, certainly uh, this is not uh, a time to to shock people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and and so there are times where uh, people are uh, doing something that is uh, dramatically atypical from what we might expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and and expectation is a funny thing. Um, our, again, like I started off by saying, like when we talk about what a will is, we do have statutes um, that will tell you like what typically happens, right? Uh, parents pass things to their children and then to grandchildren. Um, you know, it goes up to grandparents, maybe nieces and nephews and things of that sort, depending on what your family situation is. And so we can kind of extrapolate where things should go. Uh, so when you do something that's different from that, um, you, you at least need to be cautious as to what the motivation is and why you're doing it and whether there's going to be anybody that's going to be disappointed by that, right? Should you have kind of a priming conversation um, or even in the kind of dramatic flair, um if, if you have, uh, uh, say, multiple, um, I guess, traditional families, right? If you started out with a family in your younger years, um, maybe there was a, a, a death of a spouse or a, a divorce um, or something of that nature, um, then having a second family and having a new set of children, um, those are the kinds of things that can spring surprise if that's not a conversation that you've had or they, they weren't aware of each other or even having a child of another relationship prior to marriage or during or after. Um, uh, those things are uh, certainly um, the kind of thing that you want to prime people for. You, you, the, the will should not be, I guess, the place that you find out you have another brother or another sister um, <laughs> or something to that effect, right? Um, this is just asking for it. Um, and so you kind of have to take your time. And so that's one of the things that I guess, you know, we're kind of sitting here talking through some of this um, is the advantage of maybe speaking with an attorney just for a few minutes anyways um, about, you know, how to how to plan for this. Uh, because when you, you go online and, and grab a will, um, they're, they're not going to caution you about these sorts of things. Um, there's not going to be any actual advice about what the ramifications are of listing it this way or even just giving everything to charity. Um you know, I can. There are there are court cases that are built around the idea of somebody leaving their entire estate to charity, and whether the charitable institution somehow unduly influenced that person to do that um, instead of giving it to their quote unquote rightful heirs. Um, so the the possibilities are endless. Um, but again, the idea is you you should at least take a moment to ponder: Am I about to shock someone? Mm-hmm. Um, and See what you can do to maybe lessen that that blow uh, before you pass. So, Adam, if folks are interested in you and your organization, talk just a little bit about this special type of law that you practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, 
our firm, uh, you know, since 2011, um, has been pretty much focused on estate planning and what is uh, referred to as estate administration. And it's a lot of what I'm talking about. Uh, wills are a planning tool, just like trust and powers of attorney and um, healthcare powers of attorney. Uh, and so we work with folk on the front end, uh, putting those documents together. Um, and then we also work on the back end with family members who may need to put those things to use, right? So um, if you're a loved one who's recently experienced a loss, um, or if you have a loved one that's become incapacitated and is going to need ongoing care, um, hopefully that person actually did their planning. They have the necessary documents in place to deal with those situations. And then we'll actually assist people in understanding what that new role looks like. What is it that you're supposed to do as the uh, executor of an estate? How do you administer somebody's estate? If you're acting as an agent under a power of attorney, what are the things you should do and shouldn't do? Um, there's a lot of questions, and uh, what we really want to do is provide clarity as much as possible. Having that clarity certainly does help. If you want to get a hold of Adam at Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah, be sure to head over online to hopplerwilms.com. That's H-O-P-L-E-R-W-I-L-M-S.com. He is Adam Hopler, partner at Hopler, Wilms, and Hannah. Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Pleasure. A quick break and back with more. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you ever want to find more about Transitions Life Care, please go online to transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to shift focus here and we're going to be talking about brain health. This is a subject that I am excited to talk about and I'm very excited to welcome our two guests as well. On the line, we have Rachel DeWeese. She is the operational coordinator for the North Carolina Registry for Brain Health at Duke. And uh, we also have Marianne Chanty Ketterell. She's the aging epidemiologist at Duke as well. Thank you both, Rachel and Marianne, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Marianne, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your work with um, brain health. And really, you know, this is something, especially right now, when we're all a little bit more isolated because of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, I, I don't want some of these really important messages that we tried to get out to our aging adult community about the importance of brain health and the types of things that we can do to maintain our brains, especially when perhaps we're being a little bit more sedentary right now because we might be nervous about being exposed to COVID-19. So if you could talk to us a little bit about what we can do to maintain our brains. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we pretty much can maintain our health at any in any circumstances. Of course, it's a little bit harder now, but we need to become creative. Um, you know, with the, like the Alzheimer's Association actually has a class on brain health that people can take virtually. If they want to learn more about this, they can go on their website and look it up. But I like to always focus on on four areas. So 
four areas that we really need to target to maintain our brain health. And those are physical health and exercise, like you said, and, and I can talk a little bit more about this in a second. Um, social involvement, I, again, as you mentioned, with this times in isolation, it just it's super important to keep socially engaged. Um, then we also, of course, need to take care of our diet and our nutrition, and we need to stay cognitively active. So those are the main four areas to maintain our brain health. And, you know, with physical exercise, now we need to become a little more creative, but we can't go to the gyms and many things. But there are many studies that show that things as simple as yoga that we could do at home, and those have been proven to really maintain brain structures and really improve our cognitive health. And so that's something simple that we can do at home. Yeah, um, and I was going to say, you know, I've really noticed uh, that there have been a lot of gyms, you know, places that are closed right now because we can't be open and we're only in phase two, or even um, just other types of organizations have really, even the senior centers and things like that, really understand the importance of exercise. And they're, they're really providing a lot of really great online tools and resources for older adults to utilize to really help them maintain themselves even when they're sitting at home. Exactly. And there are many actually sitting exercises that you can do. I think what really is important, I think, for people to really understand is if you think about every time your heart pumps, 25% of the blood that is getting pumped is going to your brain. So the better that heart's pumping, the better blood flow you get to your brain and the better your cognitive function is going to be. Now, I always say, especially with senior citizens, the number one thing you want to make sure is to really, if you're going to try something new, make sure you check with your primary care provider first before you start anything. That's number one. And then number two is, I I always say exercise is kind of like a relationship. You really kind of have to marry it. And (laughs) you got to start by really, the number one thing is you got to enjoy it. Because if you're not going to enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it. You're not going to do it. So, you know, just try it little by little and and check it out. It's just you'll find something that you fall in love with. And it could be from a sitting exercise to, you know, even walking every morning or afternoons. If you don't like the morning, try it at the afternoon. It's, it, it's just get going, get moving, well, right? Well, Marianne, you have me now picturing some sort of a dating app where we swipe past different types of exercise that don't tickle our fancy. No, 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 I'm not a runner. No, maybe, yeah, I could try this one. Well, let's just give that yeah, one a go. I, that's, a, that's not a bad idea, actually. It is a good idea. <laughs> Too funny. Um, what else? Yeah, and then we, you know, we always want to make sure that even if we're during COVID times, we stay socially connected. And there are so many studies out in the literature that show that social isolation is just so detrimental to our brain health. And it leads to disability in the long run. So especially if you're, um, you know, towards your new second 50s, right? After that, you want to really stay socially active. And you don't have to be going out there. You can do virtual active activities, you know, do Zoom calls, FaceTime with your family and friends. And, and, and there are many ways there. Are, like my book club went on a Zoom book club now. So there are many book clubs that you can still enjoy and, and gather with them. And, and really just the key here is just keep doing something that really stimulates your brain and, and, and be socially active. Because, you know, um, so my family, I'm originally from Costa Rica. 
and we actually just had a huge Zoom meeting two days ago. And it was so uplifting, really, to just see everybody and see how everybody's doing all in, you know, different places around the world. And it really does help your, you know, your your, your emotions. It, it uplifts you, so... Yeah, and really just, you know, and as we are living with the pandemic, and I, you know, and unfortunately, I don't think any of us in healthcare think that this is going away anytime too quickly. So this is the new normal for a while, really just trying to figure out creative ways to maintain connection with people. You know, even an example, I, you know, my my husband and I, we had not seen our daughter who's, you know, young married, who's been living in Greenville, South Carolina for almost six months since the pandemic came and everyone was just trying to keep everybody safe and and then you know we just all sort of made the decision okay we are all going to self-quarantine for a couple of weeks and then we're going to come together in sort of a remote location where we're just going to all cook for ourselves but just spend that quality of time together and I will tell you that really helped all of our spirits lift up and just made things feel like we weren't living in the pandemic even just for a little while. Exactly. And and it's not only good for us, but for especially the little ones also, mm-hmm. just to feel that there's still people out there. It's, I think, um, you know, I think children and, and seniors have been the hardest hit with all of this, but it's definitely, we just need to keep connected. It's super important. Um, and there's also many schools that need uh, seniors to volunteer to read to little kids, uh, which will help both ways. It's mm-hmm. going to help the children and it's going to help them for sure. So what, so what about nutrition? I know that's a huge issue. And, and now that everybody's sort of eating at home more than maybe they had been in the past, I think a lot of people are sort of going for some of those ready-made sodium-filled <laughs> meals in that <laughs> freezer aisle. And I will say I know this for a fact because when I walk down that freezer aisle, oftentimes some of those meals that I might like to pick up are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and they're, they're just so much easier, right? Especially when, oh, when so much stress is going on thinking about cooking and it's just you know but yes the next you know the next target area or, or area of focus that we're going to talk about is dining and nutrition and it's so key because what we you know we are what we eat they say right and oh my gosh I'm telling you I just had a, a terrible sweet cupcake the other day and I just felt <laughs> terrible afterwards so it's like full of sweets so you want to stick to a diet um, there are many diets out there there's really only two that have been scientifically shown across the years to be really good, and those are, you know, the typical Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet. So you want to, you want to have whatever it is that you're eating with lots of greens, nuts, whole grains. Um, you want to have lean proteins, but you also want to make sure that it's very low in sugar, and especially salt. Um, we just finished the Alzheimer's Association International Conference a couple of weeks ago, and that was huge. We want to make sure you, you lower your salt intake. It's good for blood pressure. It's good for the brain. I mean, it's just overall good. Um, and, of course, you stay away from fast foods. I mean, it's okay once in a blue moon, but <laughs> you really want to stay away from junk food. It's not good for you. That's a true story, though. Sure, t- it, it, it takes tastes good going down, but, boy, 30 minutes later, you feel like you are a zombie. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And last but not least, I want to say, you know, something we kind of all just sort of throw in the back burner is cognitive activity. You want to really, really maintain your cognitive activity. 
And how we do this is you have to push your buttons. That's what I tell everybody. If you are in your comfort zone, you are not trying hard enough. Um, you really want to acquire new skills. If you People are like, well, I always do my crossword puzzle. Well, you know what? Um, try something different, something that it, your brain's not going to go in like auto mode. Mm-hmm. Um, try a new language. You know, there are many apps now. We talked about, you know, the social activity um, app that we talked before. Um, there are apps to learn a new language, and it's you're never too old to learn. That is something that's always out there, and I say, no, that is absolutely not true. Um, and so you definitely need to keep um, good mental health. There's a lot of people that are becoming depressed with the COVID, um, and you also want to address that. If you're feeling down, really make sure you go to your PCP and, and really address that. It's It's okay. You know, we all go through it. It's okay to ask for help and get get the help when you need it and not wait longer. The longer you carry on with a depression or, or with mental um, distress, it's just going to, you know, it's not good for your health. That's great advice. That is the voice of Dr. Marianne Chanty Ketterl. She is the aging ep- epidemiologist at Duke. And we also have Rachel DeWeese on the line. We will be talking to her about the North Carolina Brain Health Registry, a registry for a uh, brain health at Duke right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. We also have on the line Rachel DeWeese and Dr. Marianne Chanty Ketterl, and we're talking all about brain health, Nicole. And uh, we're also going to be discussing the North Carolina Registry for Brain Health at Duke. Yeah, you know, and I think the Brain Health Registry is something that um, people don't really know a lot about. And I think it sometimes might seem like it's something maybe that's a little spooky. So I want um, uh, Rachel to really had to talk to us about what this is and what this means and how this really can help people in our country and future generations. Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And I will say off the bat, it is not spooky. <laughs> but um, it, it's, uh, well, the North Carolina Registry for Brain Health is the first registry of its kind in this state. And it does a couple of things. It connects North Carolinians who are 18 years old and older to brain health research opportunities at five different institutions. Um, at the top, uh, it was mentioned that this is at Duke. This registry started at Duke, but with some state funding a few years back has expanded to include four other research institutions. So that's an important note and that this registry covers the entire state. Wow. Another thing that the registry does is um, educate participants and the public about ways to reduce risk and maximize their brain health in everyday life, as Dr. Jenny Ketterl was discussing earlier. Um, And we also highlight available supports and resources for people who are living with cognitive change and their caregivers. So I kind of like to think of it as a two-way street 
where people who are interested in finding out about research that they might be able to participate in are kind of giving into the system. And by being involved, they're getting to hear about what's coming out of brain science so that they can maximize their own cognition and help and create um, involvement in the greater good, I guess, is a way to put so, it. So if somebody wanted to participate in some of this research, what give, give us some examples of what that might look like. Sure. So research is a very broad term, and that can involve studies of people, data, samples of tissue from people, the whole gamut. So I think that might be what you're referring to as spooky. Um, but it's it's a very wide swath of, of ways that people can get involved. So um, you might find out about an ob- observational study that would help to better understand Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. There could be studies involving blood samples and imaging. There could be um, clinical trials that involve new compounds or devices or therapies. So it runs the gamut. But what's important to know about joining the registry is that by getting involved and signing up, what you are committing to is just learning about what research studies are available for which you might be eligible. So you're not you're not saying, yes, I want to um, you know, have spinal fluid taken and be involved in anything that comes down the pike. It's, I'd like to learn what these different institutions, and I'll tell you what, what institutions they are, what are they working on right now to try and better understanding, understand our um, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias with the goal of creating better therapies and eventually one day, hopefully, a cure. Well, I love that you're um, so, you're taking the time to explain that because I think, you know, sometimes we do live in such a research-rich area, and I think people just make automatic assumptions of what even signing up for something may or may not mean. So I think mm-hmm. that's great that, you know, you could sort of catch a group of people that are curious, and then may perhaps over time, they may choose to opt into something, you know, a little bit more detailed. Yeah, and the way it works on the ground is that if you sign up, and I will um, tell your listeners that the website is ncbrainhealth.org, where you can go on there yourself and just sign up, um, or you can call us and we can help you. But it's a very simple process with a very few number of questions asked um, beyond how to best get in touch with you, questions about your age, race, or ethnicity, um, whether or not you've been diagnosed with a memory disorder and um, educational level. Um, all of those things are important. And so when you join the registry, um, you're basically entering a big pool of people who have raised their hand and said, yes, I'm interested in helping. That's it. And then researchers at these institutions come up with whatever studies they want to do. And when they narrow down the types of people that they're looking for for their study, then we can communicate with those people by sorting them for the whatever characteristics the researchers are looking for. And what that looks like is in your inbox, you get a flyer or a message that says, here's a study that you might be eligible for. And then you call in if you're interested and disregard if you're not. So it's really low pressure. That's really great. I know that, you know, 
everything surrounding cognitive impairment, the dementias, Alzheimer's disease, things of that nature. I was recently at a presentation where the researcher said a study has been done that people are more scared of being diagnosed with a form of dementia than they are of getting cancer. And so, you know, I think people just have a great sense of pause when it comes to the brain and you know well what if I find out there's something wrong with me do I want to know don't I want to know and I think people mm-hmm. people are terrified and then there's all of sort of the urban myths and legends about how you contract a dimension some of them may have a grain of truth others don't and so um, I, I definitely think this is super important for the community to know absolutely um, I, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, we are for the registry, we're looking at for people of all ages, so anyone who's 18 years of age and older, Mm -hmm. people who have been diagnosed with memory problems, people who have not been diagnosed with memory problems. The idea is to get as broad a range of people as possible because one of the things that is of interest to researchers is what does Alzheimer's disease that shows up in symptoms later on, what does that look like in younger people? So maybe we can find you know, indicators earlier in the lifespan, um, because a majority of people find out about that they have Alzheimer's disease or some other form of dementia when the symptoms get bad enough. So do you have any examples of any amazing discoveries and research that have come out of the North Carolina Brain Health Registry? So this registry is relatively young. Um, I'm going to defer to Dr. Chani Kettlewell uh, on this, if there's anything she would like to speak about sure. regarding um, gonna, the registry. Yeah. So I, I was going to say, well, there are um, many studies that have happened uh, that have used the a, what it used to be when it was just at Duke. Right now, we're just in the what, what we're calling the second phase when we are making the registry available for researchers. So right now, um, we are just, uh, the, the two first studies have been approved to okay, use great. the registry. Mm-hmm. So we're just at that stage. Now, um, I personally have used it uh, in its previous form um, for pilot studies, and, and it's been super useful. It's, it's great for researchers. Um, I did a study on wristbands, uh, silicon wristbands, to measure um, pesticides and chemicals in the environment in people's homes, and we were comparing with farmers. And um, that should be out in publication soon. Um, but basically, we, you know, it was great because for every study, we also need controls. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, people without any kind of um, cognitive problems or, or not. In this case, it was not a cognitively related disorder. However, the registry served into finding people who were um, non-farmers so that we could see if they were also exposed to the chemicals. So that's how it can help. But I also wanted to add that the registry, is, it also serves as a way to get the latest information mm-hmm. on research. So that's really important, too. So you don't, you don't have to be um, willing to jump into a research study yet. So you can just join it to get the latest information from basically directly from the scientists. So I think that's, that's very powerful. So I know this is sort for mentioning that. So I know this is sort of an aside, um, but I do know that the Alzheimer's Association's um, global research conference was just a couple of weeks back. Were there any huge takeaways from that from either one of you? 
Oh, absolutely. One of the most important, I mean, and I always jump on this because I'm really passionate about one of the main barriers that we've had in research is that, you know, we've really done, I'm going to, I'm going to give this out there. Don't quote me on it, but I would say over 90% of our research has been done on, you know, Caucasians and we have no diversity. And that's why Alzheimer's drugs often go out into a phase three, phase four, and they don't work as well as we expected them because, you know, we have a, we're a melting pot, right? It's a very diverse um, country and we need more, more people of color to join the research in order to properly test our medications, our behavioral therapies and everything, and then come out and actually work. Because we only, if we only focus in one group, then when we put it out there in the world and, and it just mixes with everybody, it's just, it's not going to translate. And so it is super important to increase diversity. And so this year at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, that was, that was the number one thing of, of really putting a cry out there in the public that we need everyone involved in research um, in order to move this forward. So... That's amazing. That, that, yeah, that was basically, I, I, if there was anything to take out, people really need to understand that everyone needs to get involved. It's not just who's, you know, who's more accessible to it, but mm-hmm. everybody needs to join in order to find a cure. Yeah, yeah definitely the whole idea and, of the social disparities of health is something that our whole country needs to tackle and really build that trust with more diverse populations. Because a lot of times there's a lack of trust with the medical community just because of some things that have gone on in the, in the distant past. So I definitely feel like we need to figure out, you know, a campaign on how to reach those groups and, and hopefully gain their trust so that these research studies will be a more impactful for them and their families. Absolutely true. And, you know, here with the North Carolina Registry for Brain Health, this is um, an issue as well that we're trying to increase um, diversity among the the people who are participating um, uh, gender-wise as well as racial and ethnic groups. Um, and I, I do want to mention, I don't think I have yet, the, the other institutions that are involved in the registry and point out that each one of these sites um, has a, an outreach coordinator that goes out into their communities to try and solicit um, participation in general, but with, a, with an eye for trying to reach underserved in research um, groups of people who, by the way, often are um, those groups that have higher incidences of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. So even more of a reason that we need to have more participation in, in the studies. Um, joining Duke in this um, five institution consortium is East Carolina University, North Carolina A&T, State University, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and Wake Forest School of Medicine. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great to see all those universities and institutions joining up for this wonderful effort. If you want to find more information, go online to ncbrainhealth.org, ncbrainhealth.org. I want to thank Rachel DeWeese. She's the operational coordinator for the North Carolina Registry for Brain Health and also Dr. Marianne Chanty Ketterell, aging epidemiologist at Duke. That'll do it for us. We've got to get out of here, but we hope you will join us again next Saturday at 4 for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk. 
traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.